Regardless of your views on truth and illusion, and regardless of whether you're a materialist, idealist, rationalist, or empiricist, quoting the philosopher Quine, you uh, should, quotation mark, continue to think of the conceptual scheme of science as a tool, ultimately, for predicting future experience in the light of past experience. Science, along with the law, are the new demigods of the modern technological society and its powers that be. The language and the meaning of words in each is the same as in any other language, just as it is for mathematics and logic, as we discussed earlier. The meanings of the words in the law have the additional empirical reality of having a monopoly on violence to enforce its meanings. That is, for any words the law finds useful, it can legally enforce that usefulness on other words and the speaker of those words. That is what the law is, a monopoly on violence for any given society. This attribute of the law is beyond this contemplation on the philosophy of language, and hopefully I will get to, it, get to this attribute and the philosophy of law in a separate episode. Science, however, has its own special techniques in its land, language framework or fabric. These techniques make it special and more powerful as a tool in humanity's will for power over reality. Science limits the usefulness of its words to words that can be proven false by experience and is allowed to logically assume, ignore, or synthesize contradiction in its language. Scientific statements are scientific because they can be proven false. Based on present or past experiences, science induces a theory and then tests that theory by making a prediction of future experience. In that induction are already contained theories, as pointed out by the uh, duck-rabbit illustration and the Paris wife Paris uh, mother-in-law illustrations on the Philosophy of Language podcast. Often it is the theories that controls, control what you see. And as even I, Albert Einstein himself said about uh, theories on physics, that it is often the physical theories that tell a physicist what he is going to see and not the other way around. If these induced theories work, it does not mean the theory is true because induction and the testing is based on a finite, limited experience. The possibility always exists that further experience will disprove the theory and require it be revised or replaced by a new theory. This technique in the fabric of scientific words is much better than what, what any other area of conventional language can do. Non-scientific languages and even pretend scientific languages such as psychology, anthropology, evolution, economics, sociology, uh, and so forth, are stuck with making statements they pretend to be true because they feel good at any given time, but that are essentially, but essentially whose usefulness are, norm are normative. They cannot make any predictions as to future events other than arbitrary and random guesses that sometimes appear to be true if they make enough assumptions. What they can say is what ought to occur. Another advantage to scientific language is its technique of assuming or hiding contradiction through words whose usefulness is hiding contradiction without calling it contradiction. I used an example of this in an early episode, unconscious thoughts. If you, on the fact of it, if you think about it for a, a few seconds, this concept is a contradiction. Thoughts that are not thinking. If we are not thinking about them, how are they thoughts? If you thought such, you are correct. Uh, this makes no sense. Yet for almost 100 years now, words such as subconscious, unconscious, 
suppressed, repressed thoughts, and similar words have been used as useful explanations for everything from altruism to zebra honey. To make matters worse, pseudoscientists such as psychologists and real scientists have been trying for a hundred years to create or find empirical evidence for such unthought thoughts, and have failed. Beginning in the 1980s, continuing to a few years ago, people were prosecuted and even convicted and jailed based on evidence, testimony, and even expert testimonies of what was called repressed memories that were really imagined, fabricated conscious memories. Luckily, the repressed memory concept has been negated by scientific tests showing them to be illusions, to be fabrications, false. This may be a bad example since it involves the pretend science of psychology, but I use it to show how bad the effects can be of such words whose only usefulness is to create credibility for pretend sciences to try to be scientists by hiding how unscientific they are. There are plenty of examples in the sciences of very useful words whose primary purpose is to hide ignorance and contradiction, and it is done so well that they become useful parts of the fabric of scientific words, as if they were not contradictions. Obvious examples consist of the words dark matter, dark energy, and entropy. According to the present language fabric of cosmology, the universe is made up of atoms. However, according to the same fabric of scientific theory, atoms make up less than 5% of the mass of the universe. Whatever the rest of the 95% is, it doesn't interact with the 5% that is matter. It's completely invisible to light and other forms of electromagnetic radiation, and it is impossible to detect, detect with current instruments. So scientists could say they do not know what makes up 95% of the universe, but that does not sound good. It sounds better to call it and to call the 95% of the universe of which they do not know what makes it up, to call it dark matter and dark energy. Thermodynamics is another example. It is an amazing tool in construction of the human mind. It was the first area of modern physics to be dependent on statistical or probability as a basis to analyze and create theories for its experiences. It gave meaning to such words that we take for granted now as heat, energy, friction, volume, volume pressure, and temperature, all used to make predictions based on past events, and these predictions could be proven false if they do not work. But even with all these useful words, there is always a certain amount of ignorance as to what is going on in a given thermodynamic system in any given moment. That ignorance is entropy. A word that sounds much better than saying we are ignorant or we do not know what is going on. It is presently a useful abstraction that is defined using mathematical terms. To what extent it will remain so in the future is an open question, as is an open question for the future of all present scientific abstractions. This ability to assume or synthesize contradictions and hide them is not the same as the concept of dialectical reasoning popularized by Hegel's philosophy, in which supposedly the world consists of a dialectical struggle between thesis and antithesis that is synthesized into a new thesis. Uh, this dialectical, dialectical struggle is the ideal world spirit that makes up reality. No, what we're talking about here is 
a lack of knowledge, of ignorance, that science is able to make useful by giving it a different word. Perhaps I should not have used the word synthesis. Uh, they synthesize two words to create a, a third word for their ignorance, but the, the contradiction is not disappearing. The contradiction is still there. And this contradiction may eventually lead to the destruction of the idea that atoms make up the universe or the fabric of thermodynamics may change if it turns out that it needs to abandon the concept of entropy. The point is, do not let this scientific language become a demigod for you and do not let this scientific language negate working class gods simply because of the power they have in certain areas of life. The vast majority of scientists do not become atheists or even agnostics because of science. Despite what many non-scientific and fairly uneducated pundits want, want you to believe is part of their political correctness. Usually, based on all the surveys that I've seen, the vast majority of scientists are either similar to Plato, believe in the existence of mathematical or perfect entities out there in a separate reality, or believe in mystical religions such as Buddhism or Zenism or even Hinduism, as they were contemplated in another episode, or still retain their belief in Western Christianity. And these type of beliefs are fairly harmless. But uh, as World War II has shown, some scientists also become believers in that Hegelian world spirit that includes fascism and Nazism and a world spirit that is based on racism, and thus uh, can be just as dangerous as harmless. Reason and logic and their creations such as mathematics and science are useful tools for surviving in life once the human will decides it wants to survive in life and what it wants out of life. But they cannot make you want to survive, nor give you reasons for surviving, nor for society surviving. And it is a dangerous thing to believe that science is an alternative to religion or somehow a better option than uh, religious belief. At some point, those words created to hide their ignorance of what makes up 95% of the universe and of the ignorance that makes up entropy will come back to haunt that uh, fabric of scientific language as all contradictions come back to haunt us. Uh, at that point, what will be the new demigod for those who worship science may not be something harmless, but may be on the scale of those uh, very harmful beliefs that created the atrocities of World War II. Since we have ended this episode with the word religion, I will end the uh, podcast series in the next episode contemplating the ontological proof for the existence of God, which is a proof that is based solely on language and the meaning of words.